Welcome back to another episode of the Full Court Podcast. My name is David, and joining me today to talk all things NBA is my guy Ben and my guy Josh. What's up, guys? What's up? What's up? So let's start off today's podcast by talking about games two and three in the playoff series between the Mavs and the Clippers. Last time we spoke, the Mavs were up 1-0, and now they're two games away from sending the Clippers home. We know that the Clippers purposefully lost their last two games of the regular season in order to land the fourth seed in the West and avoid playing the Lakers in the second round. So what are your thoughts about how the series is turning out to be? And do you guys think that the Clippers made a right decision by tanking at the end of the regular season? Um, well, first I want to say that my prediction for the series has been correct thus far, that I predicted that the Mavericks would win the first two games in L.A. and that L.A. would win the next two games in Dallas. Obviously, they still, they still have to win game four for me to be fully correct, but it's playing out pretty well. But besides my prediction, I would say the series overall, I thought that the Mavericks were actually at some point, I thought the Mavericks were going to really had a chance to sweep, which I was really surprised because they were kind of dominating. Luka was dominating the Clippers, but I think the, the Clippers have kind of weathered the storm. They've kind of calmed down the Mavericks in, in a few ways. So I think what was once could have been a dominating series has now become a competitive battle between two of the best teams in the West. So I guess it should be interesting. Yeah, I still think that the Mavericks could take this series, especially since in game three, in the first quarter, it looked like they were going to run away with the game because they were up by like 20 in the first quarter before the Clippers made it a game in the first half. And then eventually the Clippers pulled away in the second half. But as long as the supporting cast on Dallas plays at an average level, I think Dallas should be fine, given that Luka Doncic is going to uh, provide his superstardom almost every night. But you don't always know if... PG or Kawhi are going to show up the same way that Luka shows up every night. But when you talk about the supporting cast for the Clippers, you know, Rondo, Beverly, and Reggie Jackson is a really weird three-guard combination. You know, none of them are really star – like, none of them are really above-average players, but none of them are below-average players. They're all around the same tier. And then – the Clippers like to go small. They like to run Kawhi at center or Marcus Morris at center for some reason. So it's really easy for Dallas to exploit them on the offensive end of the floor because they do have Chris Habs-Porzingis or Maxi Kleba in the game most of the time. And they could just post up using their size. But Chris Habs-Porzingis needs to play a lot better if the Mavericks want to win this series because he just doesn't look aggressive at all out there. He just stands in the corner. And I feel like the Mavs need a lot more out of him. I feel like Kawhi um, has to play better, especially on the defensive end of the floor, because in today's generation, he's considered one of the best two-way wing players. And honestly, if he can't stop Luka Doncic, this series is going to end pretty soon. But um, the Mavs are shooting the ball pretty well in the last two games. They shot 59% from the field in game two and 53% from three-point range which is honestly an unbelievable basketball. But um, Paul George, too, he needs to step it up, and he needs to get bigger numbers than 28 points, 27 points per game. But honestly, I think, like, Rajon Rondo should be starting more often because we know that Rajon Rondo, he, he steps it up in the big moments, and that's why he's called playoff Rondo. And I honestly don't understand why Ty Lu isn't playing him more. He's giving more minutes to Reggie Jackson, and honestly, it's kind of upsetting because – why did you trade for him then? Like, I, I just don't understand that. 
I mean, like, we've been hearing about playoff Rondo for a few years now, and we've seen the kind of stuff he's been able to do in the postseason. Um, and I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I, I, I think Rondo's a great player. He used to be one of my favorite players growing up. But I haven't really seen the kind of impact he's been making. And it, and it, could, be, and it, it could be that you're right, that he's not getting the, the necessary time for him to make that kind of visible impact. The last game in the Clippers win, he did play 26 minutes off the bench, which is pretty decent. Um, considering he's coming off the bench. And overall, honestly, 26 minutes is pretty decent. He did end up having eight assists. But at the end of the day, I think in order for Rondo to contribute um, to, to the point where the, the Clippers are consistently winning games, I think you're right. He's going to need to be in, in the rotation far more. It's, re- it's really difficult to get in the rhythm as a guard, especially if you're, if you're constantly splitting minutes with, with guys like Reggie Jackson and stuff. It's going to be really difficult. So I think in order for us to see Rondo make the kind of impact that he made last season, for example, with the Lakers, he's probably going to need to be the primary ball handler uh, in order for that to happen. I think that their issue is that they constantly go small. It's not necessarily which guard they have out on the court because at the end of the day, although Rondo, Beverly, and Reggie Jackson all provide different strengths and weaknesses, they're all around the same level of player, you know? But I feel like they need to have bigs out there because Luca's just going to drive and get whatever he wants every time. One, we've seen that one person is not enough to stop him, especially when he's going downhill, because he's too big and too strong and he could finish easily without any bigs in the middle to protect the paint. And if you do double and send more guys over, he's just going to kick it out to all the shooters he has. So I feel like defensively, the Clippers aren't getting it done because they choose to go small. And I feel like at some point, you need to get Ibaka in there. You need to get DeMarcus Cousins in there, maybe. You know, you pay these guys in order to play. And they're not scrubs offensively either. I feel like they could both punish a guy like Porzingis on the other end of the floor, who's seen as pretty soft. I feel like Boogie could post him up and get some buckets. I think it has to be DeMarcus Cousins' time in, and you know, in L.A. Yeah. And, 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 like, I'm surprised that Cousins hasn't been in the rotation at all. Like, he's played pretty much, like, no minutes the whole series, which I'm super surprised about. I think especially considering Porzingis' lack of defense, to put it best, I think DeMarcus Cousins can really do some work. I'm surprised he's not even playing at all. Yeah, um, but did you guys hear about Luka? Um, he, I think he has a neck injury. So we're going to have to see how the series plays out. But He's going to play. He's going to play, yeah. His coach said he'll probably play in game four. But during the end of the games, Luka mostly controls the ball and, and they double team him. But that still doesn't solve the issues for the uh, Clippers because he still can pass the ball to KP or to Tim Hardaway or to other guys. Um, in game two, I believe, they were doubling Luka and Luka was able to find KP and he just got easy dunks and, and they won those games. So they, I think they need to find a new strategy in defending Luka. I think Kawhi needs to guard him the entire game. But now let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks and their complete domination over the Miami Heat. In game one of the playoffs, Miami only lost by two points. And then from games two to four, the Heat lost by 34, 29, and 17. The Heat really went out sad. And now my question is, was last year's final appearance a fluke? Or is there another reason in why the Heat performed so badly this season? I don't think it was a fluke. However, I said this last year from a Heat fan perspective to all my friends that this year, meaning 2020 in the bubble, was our year because I knew that 
there would be no chance the Heat would get back in the finals the following year. I didn't think that the Heat would get swept like this in the first round. I think they got embarrassed by the Bucks the same way the Heat embarrassed the Bucks in the bubble. But I think that, first of all, you have to look at the situations. This year's Heat team just wasn't as good as last year's Heat team because last year the Heat were able to catch teams by surprise. You know, people didn't really know how to guard Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson or Kendrick Nunn. But now these guys have NBA experience and teams know how to defend them. But it's more so the fact that there was no offseason, no Jay Crowder, you know, just the little things. But obviously there are no excuses. But I think the main thing is just that the Eastern Conference got so much better from last year. You know, like the Heat, they were able to pull off the upset by beating the Bucks in the bubble. But that Bucks team had Eric Bledsoe as their main as their lead guard you know now they have drew holiday who's a much improved upgrade over eric Bledsoe. they have a lot of good bench players now in Bryn forbes and bobby portis that they didn't have last year and then if you look at the rest of the east you know the sixers are a lot lot better than they were last year obviously the nets are much better this year than they were last year the knicks are better the hawks are better all these teams from last year are so much better and the Heat were just the odd man out this year, you know. They didn't have much of an off season, But I don't think that the Heat need to make any changes from a Heat fan perspective. I think we still have a very good young core. Our leader, Jimmy Butler, had a rough series. But you, if you know Jimmy Butler, you know he's not going to continue playing like that. He's going to take it personally, and he's going to work a lot harder to make sure that next year is much different than this year. Yeah, um, I kind of think that, this series, honestly, it was rough. You know, there's no other way to put it. A sweep is always rough, especially if you made the conference finals last season. Um, and, you know, I think that last year wasn't a fluke. I think that this year had less to do with Miami and more to do with how good the Bucks have become, how good the East has become. Obviously, they lost to the Bucks in the first round, and the Bucks have become a lot better. Um, they've had a Drew Holiday. I feel like they're just much more composed right now. I, I feel like now we have a, a, a playoff experience, Giannis, which is a, a really dangerous thing. And because, you know, we've seen he's kind of, you know, maybe choked in, in previous years. And I just don't, I, I don't see that happening anymore for him. And because, you know, I, 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 th I think he's pretty much just done with it. He's used to, he's used to losing and it's just not something he wants to do. And like, I know that sounds a little arbitrary to talk about, but I think it really happens. Like you have players that need to go through some tough hurdles early on so they can become amazing postseason performers. And, and I feel like it wasn't a fluke last season. The Heat had a great run. Um, it's, it's not like they got lucky and won a few game sevens or whatever, or, or made some lucky shots. They dominated the Bucks last season. They, I would say for the most part, they, they pretty much beat the Celtics pretty confidently. And they, they lost to the Lakers in six games, which is nothing to be ashamed of. But this season, like Josh said, they pretty much stayed pretty stagnant. And despite getting Victor Oladipo, who was injured for the postseason, unfortunately, they weren't able to add him. They, 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 they just didn't make a lot of changes. And, and that could have been because of the short offseason. It could have been a lot of things. Maybe teams had figured them out. Um, but, you know, the Bucks just got a lot better. And I, I guess th th things just didn't really work out at the end of the day. Speaking of adding players, what have trading for Kyle Lowry before the trade deadline changed the series around? 
I don't think so. I don't think that point guard was really a necessity. I feel like the because Goran Dragic is very reliable come postseason. He's a vet. I feel like the you know the Raptors wanted uh, Tyler Hero. He weren't willing to give up Tyler Hero, obviously, because he is still very young. It does bother me to see that he's probably one of the most hated players, if not the most hated player in the NBA sometimes. I mean, he is still just a kid. Like, people have to realize that he's only 20. He's still very talented. And obviously, his numbers are going down because his minutes and touches are going down. I don't think people aren't really watching the games. Like, he's still just as talented as he was before. And that talent is still there. I still believe he'll be an all-star in this league one day. He just needs to get more touches and more opportunity like he did last year. But I'm also very satisfied with the play of Duncan Robinson. I feel like ever since he was on the trade block for Kyle Lowry and the Raptors declined it, Duncan Robinson has been on fire, especially in game one of the series. Uh, He put up like 20-something, I think it was like 25 points against Milwaukee in game one on the road. But since then, Milwaukee found a way to limit his touches I, Milwaukee found a way to stop basically everybody on the Heat. But right. Duncan Robinson is a good piece to have for the future. His spacing is just unreal, and he's probably a top five three-point shooter in the NBA. So I'm very glad that the Heat held on to him with his contract situation as well. Being an undrafted player, we don't have to pay him that much money, whereas Kyle Lowry would have demanded a lot of money. Now that the Bucks are moving on to the second round of the playoffs, they're most likely going to face the Brooklyn Nets. So do you guys think with the way that the Bucks performed in the first round of the playoffs, do you think they have the shot and chance of taking out the Nets? Um, I think, yes, they do have the shot and the chance. The odds are not in their favor, though. And I'm not going to be like, I know that people have this like recency bias where they see the Bucks have just swept a team. So now they're like, oh, like maybe they have a chance. That's not, that's not what I'm doing right now. What I'm trying to say is that the Bucks actually have a really good team. And I think that they might be able to give the Nets some problems because listen to what I'm saying here. The Nets played a, are playing a pretty easy, I don't want to say easy because the Celtics are still good. They still have a, a superstar in Tatum, but they're playing a much easier team than the Bucks had to play in the first round. So the level, the jump that the Nets are making from the first round to the second round in terms of competition it's so much steeper than the jump that the Bucks are making from the first round to the second round. So I feel like in especially game one and two, that is the Bucks' prime opportunity to steal those games because I feel like the Nets will not be ready for that level of competition, especially Giannis. They will not be ready for that, and they will need to make some serious adjustments. <clears throat> and I think that they will lose game one at least and possibly games one and two, the Nets. Of course, it's possible the Nets just sweep them because we know who they have on their team. We don't have to go over that. But I feel like the Nets might be in for a surprise, especially if they're not preparing for that level of competition since it's going to be such a big jump from the first to the second round. Well, in my personal opinion, I feel that the Bucs, they can probably take this series between the Brooklyn Nets in six games. I think they, they'll probably steal a game or two maybe on the road. But definitely the talent with KD, Kyrie, and Harden, it's just too much power, too much offensive power. Um, They've been tested in the playoffs, all all three of them. Um, We have two champions on one team, and they just have that experience. And plus, they have all five shooters. Um, Everyone on on the Nets can shoot the ball pretty well. Um, They're all great in the paint. They can go to the hole. 
they can dish the ball, they can assist. They have so many different things that they can throw at you that I honestly don't think that the Milwaukee Bucks can pass the Brooklyn Nets. But don't get me wrong, though. The Milwaukee Bucks are having a, an amazing season this year. Um, Josh, do you have anything to say about that? Or do you want to move on to the Knicks and the Hawks? We can move on to the Knicks and the Hawks. All right. Do you guys think that the Knicks can still prevail and move on to the second round of the series? I think there's definitely a shot that the Knicks could still win the series. Obviously, they do have games five and seven to look forward to at home. And, you know, playoff Madison Square Garden is a lot different than playoff State Farm Arena in Atlanta, Georgia. But with that being said, from what we saw from the Knicks in game three, it's very discouraging that, you know, we thought that Julius Randle's poor play in games one and two would just be, you know, an anomaly in the series. But we see it consistently now with him that he just struggles to score against this Hawks defense for some reason. I think he's shooting like 24% from the field through three games, which is like the worst in NBA history through three, through like a player's first three postseason games. And I mean, that's just ridiculous. But, you know, the rest of the team needs to step up as well because although Derrick Rose is great, he's not going to score 30 points like that every game. You're going to need more from Alec Burks off the bench. He needs to get more playing time because he is a vet and he has that experience. But R.J. Barrett needs to step up. Obviously, the rest of the team, like the centers, Noel and Gibson, need to be more aggressive when Randall is struggling with his shot, especially going at a guy like Clint Capella trying to get him in foul trouble. But also the problem was on defense because Trey Young was just carving them up. You can't double-team him because he's such a good passer and he could find anybody. But we talk about the Knicks' struggles, but even the Hawks were struggling too. A lot of their guys, with the exception of Trey Young, we're not shooting the ball very well either. Like, Clint Capella hasn't been scoring much. Boyan Bog- uh, I mean Bogdan Bogdanovich, sorry, has only scored 18, 18, and 15 points per game in this series. But he was scoring 20 points per game in the regular season. So, I mean, as fans, we're just waiting for both teams really to step it up offensively. But for now, this is going to be a defensive-minded series. And until the other guys start stepping up, we won't really know who's going to win. We just need to see Julius Randle play better if the Knicks want a shot to win. Right. Um, you know, for me, the Knicks are the team that I watch the most in the NBA. So watching these three games, I've seen a lot of what needs to change, um, even during their win. And I feel like, like you said, the defense is going to be huge for the Knicks and for the Hawks. But I feel like for the Knicks especially, because a lot of their guys are not playing well offensively. Like, they're just not. And unfortunately, I, I would have hoped that this would have been a fluke in the in game one and then game two would kind of happen again. But it's kind of happening. It, it, it might happen for the majority of the series. So to make up for that, our defense really needs to step up. We've seen that Trae Young is able to get super easy looks. Um, uh, like, he's, he's throwing a lot of wide-open lobs to Capella. We've seen that make tough shots as well. Like, even though Bogdanovich's numbers are, are maybe a little bit underwhelming, he's made some tough threes, especially when, when they needed it, and it's been really kind of annoying. So the Hawks, they haven't been playing amazing, but they've been playing just good enough to beat the Knicks. And so, <clears throat> but, you know, I will tip my hat off to Derek Rose because I think he's been playing at an all-star level. He's been playing phenomenal. He's been playing the best by far out of all the Knicks. So um, I, I want him to keep playing that way. 
because he's really all we're hanging on to right now. Um, obviously, Julius Randle is going to need to step it up big time if, if we want a chance to win this thing. Um, and we've seen, honestly, we've seen that, that Trey Young has been playing way better than Randle, as much as it kills me to say it, because the Hawks have been just putting way more emphasis on our superstar than we have on theirs, which is a huge issue because we need to, we need to, some, we need to find some way to kind of like counteract what they're doing to us, and we just haven't been doing it. We just have not been guarding their guys with the same intensity that they've been guarding us, even though we found, found ways to score. At the end of the day, I feel like whoever wins these games in this series is the one who goes on the biggest run. Like, I'm, I'm just watching it, and I see, like, yeah, the score is kind of here, and then somebody goes on a run, and then somebody goes on another run. That's, and that's what basketball is in general. It's a game of runs. But especially in, especially in this series, with both teams kind of being cold for the duration of the games, it's pretty much who, who gets hot for that split second, who, who kind of is able to take control and win. Yeah, but with the exception of Derrick Rose, majority of the players on the Knicks, they haven't been in the playoffs. And with the Atlanta Hawks as well, most of their guys haven't been playoff tested. So I guess that's why you can see that most of the players aren't playing that well on the offensive side of the board. But I don't know if you guys saw this, but in game two at Madison Square Garden, a player actually spitted on Trey Young. And honestly, that's that's uncalled for, and that's honestly really disrespectful. You can find other ways to heckle a player, and to spit on a player is absolutely disrespectful. And this has not happened just once. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the game in Philly, um, but a fan actually dumped a bucket of popcorn on Westbrook. So I, I just wanted to get your thoughts and pick your brain on that. I think it's obviously very disrespectful, and the fans need to do better. But there was also an instance that um, I want to bring up that happened in the NHL playoffs, actually, that you guys probably haven't heard of. But um, in the first round of the NHL playoffs, these two teams, they're both from Florida. The Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning were playing each other in a first-round series. So obviously, you know, there's some in-state rivalry there. Mm-hmm. I mean, hockey pretty is pretty close. Though. They let players hockey fight. is different. Hockey they let is players fight, bro. They should do that in the NBA. They should let. Just... They should fight, but this was a fan incident. So what happened was these uh, this young child, like a ten year old boy, and his dad went to a Tampa Bay Lightning game against Florida Panthers, and they showed up wearing Florida Panthers jerseys, and they were asked by security to remove their Florida Panthers jerseys, and they were very confused as to why they asked because obviously. You know, maybe you'll get, like, made fun of for wearing an opposing jersey at another game. But, you know, never to the extent where the security asks you to take it off. And then they actually looked at the rule book. And Tampa Bay Lightning have in their rules, in their venue, that you're not allowed to wear opposing merch for other teams. And I just found that actually, like, ridiculous. Like, if you show up to a basketball game, like, let's say you showed up to a Knicks team in a Hawks jersey, maybe you'll get made fun of, but... You know, you're not going to get kicked out for wearing a Hawks jersey. You know, I just found that, you know, fans just in all sports and, you know, these these arenas, they just all need to do better in general. Yeah, I mean, 100%, man. Like, fans, for, like, well, let's start with the fans in, in the NBA. Like, that is absolutely disgusting, uncalled for, and, and ridiculous. Like, you're not, as a fan, you're there to enjoy the game. Like, people don't go to you at your job and spit on you and throw popcorn on you. Like, you got to understand, like, at the end of the day, these NBA players, they're here to play basketball. As much as they're here to entertain you, 
they're not your personal like playthings for you to like get mad at if your team loses or like whatever you want like at the end of the day like they're at work and you're lucky enough to be in the audience to watch them work so you better take that as a privilege whether you're supporting their team or not because like we've seen that the nba has banned these kind of players for life and as they should be banned because you you, you cannot just go around spitting on people like in my opinion spitting is like one of the ultimate forms of like disrespect and like you know what I want to say like also hats off to Trey Young because he he didn't really seem phased by it and not only that but he didn't want to press charges either which you know he absolutely could have if he wanted to because spitting is just like you have to be a weirdo to do that like just don't like if you're a fan just enjoy the game and go home at the end of the day and I swear the thing about the uh, about the about the NHL like that's just a little in my opinion, that's just a little bit weird, uh, a little bit controlling by the part of um that hockey team. You said it was the Lightning, right? Yeah, so it's, it's a little bit controlling. It's a little bit weird also. Like, you should be allowed to wear whoever's jersey you want from whichever team. Um, th- th- This is a sport at the end of the day. Like, we're here to enjoy the game. It's like you form – the bond you form is based on the fact that you're wa- you're all watching a sport together. That's a sense of community. It's And, and, and you don't need to – you don't need to make a big deal and like ban people from wearing other jerseys from other teams. It's just a little weird. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's move on now to the Nuggets versus the Blazers. So this series is now tied at two games apiece. And honestly, it's the most exciting series, in my opinion, um, beside from the Knicks and the Hawks. So I was just wondering, um, how, how do you guys think that the series is going to play out? Because honestly, I feel like that the Denver Nuggets are going to still escape the series in six games. I think they're going to win the next two, but don't get me wrong. Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, they've been playing really great basketball, but um, what are your thoughts about the games? I actually think the series is going to go seven regardless. I think the only way the series goes six would be if Portland wins in six, because I can't see Portland losing game six at home to Denver, but I can see Portland winning a game seven in Denver because we saw them do it two years ago, and we also saw them steal game one in Denver. I feel like if I were to choose right now, I'd say Portland in seven, just because I think that Denver, in order for Denver to win these games that we've seen them win, they need almost everything to go right for them. But Portland can win these games without getting spectacular performances from their two main guys. We saw last night, that Damian Lillard had like nine points, I think it was, and they still won by 30, you know? I feel like Portland just has too much firepower that if they get a couple of their guys going and they actually buy in on the defensive end of the floor, then, you know, they could they could win a game pretty easily. But I feel like the Nuggets, they need most things to work out in their favor. Like, obviously, they need their guy Jokic to score at least 30 points. They're going to need Porter to score at least 20 points. They're going to need double figures from Millsap and Morris and Aaron Gordon and all those guys. And they're going to need Faku to play good defense on Lillard. But I feel like Denver just needs too much to go right, whereas Portland only needs a little bit to go right. Like their room of error is a lot smaller for Denver. So I feel like as long as Portland – as as long as Portland can sort of weather the storm of Denver and play at least decently, I think Portland gets out of this series in seven. I mean, Denver only lost yesterday, in my opinion, because they didn't have a good shooting performance. Um, they were only 34% from the field, 30% from three, 
and they only shot 80% from the free throw line. Um, guys weren't shooting that well uh, during yesterday's game. But don't get me wrong, the Blazers have been shooting the wall pretty well this in- entirety of the season. Um, Damian Lillard, he's been clutch. He had a couple of 40-game performances, and C.J. McCollum has been stepping it up. Um, Yusuf Nurkic, um, you could see like he's like playing for his contract, basically. He's playing with a lot of heart um, and a lot of intensity for a big man. I mean, in, in my personal opinion, uh, I see the series going to seven. I feel like it's anybody's game. I think it's impossible to predict. We've seen both of these teams can beat each other pretty convincingly. And I, I feel like that's just what it's going to come down to. It's just going to come down to whoever wins the seventh game, and it could be either one of them. Like you guys said, um, both teams kind of play, like have their strengths and weaknesses. So I guess we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, let's move on now to the Suns versus the Lakers. So the LA Lakers, they're up now 2-1 in the series and have won uh, the last two games against the Phoenix Suns. And uh, Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Chris Paul's been out right now with uh, injury. He's been playing the games, but he hasn't been performing at that level. So I honestly, I'm going to start changing my opinion. I do feel like if Chris Paul doesn't play at that level, the series is basically over. And the Lakers will win the series in five Ooh. if the the Suns don't step it up and Chris Paul doesn't return. But what are your thoughts about this series for now? Damn. I mean, I, I've i been thinking since the beginning that the Lakers are going to beat the Suns. Not only that, the Lakers are still my pick to win the championship. Like, whatever. I don't care. Still, that's my pick. But um, as for this series alone, I think you're right. Chris Paul not playing at the playoff level, at the elite level that he's used to playing at because of his injury is really going to hurt the Suns' chances. Um, in five, that's, it's possible. If, if Chris Paul continues playing like this, I feel like five is possible. I feel like six is more likely for the Lakers. Um, yeah, I, I just really don't see the, the Lakers losing, especially because LeBron. LeBron has not even had to go into that mode yet where he's dropping like 30, 40-point triple-doubles. He's pretty. He's been pretty chill so far, and AD's been carrying most of the offensive load. And even so, the Lakers have been winning these games. So you know, I feel like I, I just don't see the the Lakers losing, to be honest. Yeah, I saw a stat earlier this morning where it said that um, KCP, Kuzma, and I think Wesley Matthews, the three of them are combined five for thirty-two on three pointers in the first three games of the series, and they're still up two to one. So that's obviously a promising sign because you know that those guys, maybe their shots aren't going to fall at a very consistent rate, but they'll at least start falling at a better rate than 5 for 32 at some point, especially Kuzma. He's been putting up like donuts in these games, (laughs) not scoring at all. But I think that if Chris Paul is not 100%, the Suns have no chance. I think they could steal a game, probably game five at home. But I think the Lakers easily – will win this series, regardless of it's five or six games. I think the Lakers will win this series, assuming Chris Paul is not 100%. But if the Suns are 100%, with a little bit of luck, I do think there is still a chance for them to prevail in seven. Yeah, I do think if Devin Booker picks up the load and with uh, Chris Paul absent, then definitely they can extend the series. But, uh, okay, let's just move on to the last thing. Um, what do you guys think about the Jazz versus the Grizzlies? So the Jazz are currently up 2-1 in the series, and um, the Grizzlies have been playing really well, and they've been playing really tough. 
these last couple of games, but they just can't seem to find the rhythm. And now that the Jazz are up 2-1, how far do you see the series going? Well, I know that you said you thought the most entertaining series of this playoff so far has been Nuggets versus Blazers. But I actually think it's been the Utah Jazz versus the Memphis Grizzlies, surprisingly, as the 1-8 matchup. But if you watched last night's game, I know the Jazz won by 10 points, but it was a lot closer than that. The, yeah. the Grizzlies actually had a two-point lead with four minutes left in the game, and they went ice cold for the last four minutes. They were outscored 14-2 to in the last 14 minutes, and 10 of those Utah points were scored by Donovan Mitchell. So, obviously, you know, he, there were some questions surrounding his health with his ankle injury, but he appears to be 100%. But I do think that this series is actually going to go probably six games. I think the Grizzlies are going to win game four at home in front of that crowd and then most likely lose the next two games. But, you know, the Grizzlies, they, they play hard. They, they're not going to get blown out. Their style of play... Obviously, they're not the same grit and grind team that they were a few years ago when they had Mike Conley running the show. But now going against Mike Conley, they do have that similar grit and grind kind of mindset where they're a very slow team. You know, they lead the league in points in the paint, obviously, with John Morant and Jonas Valanciunas in there. But I feel like the Jazz are a little bit of a bad matchup for them just because they lead the league in points in the paint. And the Jazz have that guy, Rudy Gobert, who is the best paint protector in the NBA so the Grizzlies need to start hitting their outside shots but Dylan Brooks has really been stepping it up he's averaging like 25 or something in the series for his first career playoff series obviously Jaw has been playing very well but it's going to come down to the defensive end because Utah made like 19 threes last night and that's unacceptable for the Grizzlies defense but if you just imagine the let's say the Jazz made 17 threes which is what they averaged in the regular season instead of 19 or 23s, however many they made, the Grizzlies probably could have won that game and taken a 2-1 to one series lead. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I feel like the reason why the Grizzlies have been so competitive and really made this a series is because they've kind of gotten their second, like, I guess, star in a way in Dylan Brooks because obviously you can't win. You can't win playoff series with one star most of the time. So Dylan Brooks stepping it up has made it much easier for them to be competitive. Um Dylan Brooks is averaging right now 27 points in the playoffs and Jaws averaging 33.7. And just by those numbers alone, this duo has been, this duo has been playing completely elite basketball. Um, and the Memphis Grizzlies have been super sneaky in, in, the, in the, the, the way that they've been playing because I really didn't expect them to make so much noise, especially considering that the Jazz, in the beginning of, in, in, in the beginning of game three in the earlier quarters, they, they had a pretty decent lead, and, and then the Grizzlies kind of cut it down. And then obviously they lost at the end, but the Grizzlies have shown that they're that kind of team that's not going to go away. They're going to keep playing until the, uh, until the final buzzer sounds. And, and I do feel like this series might go six games and that the Grizzlies might even have a shot, you know, if they maybe string a couple wins in a row and continue playing the way that, them, that they've been playing, especially with uh, the performance of Brooks and, and John Morant. Who knows? Like, anything can happen. Yeah, for sure. They're one of the youngest teams in the NBA. And honestly, they play with a lot of heart and a lot of soul. But um, okay, that's going to conclude today's episode. If you guys like today's episode, make sure to follow us, follow us on social media. Um, We're going to be doing a giveaway. So make sure you follow us on Instagram and we'll see you guys next time. Peace.